Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy takes us into Acts chapter 3 with a sermon titled, The Holy Spirit Heals. The Holy Spirit wants to heal your body, mind, and spirit. We often want to rush to the healing part without going through the process of restoration. That process is messy and painful. We have to get rid of the lies that hold us back. There is infinite grace, mercy, and healing when we approach the throne with humility and trust. The Holy Spirit is calling you to begin your healing journey. So we believe three things in our church, and this we see this in the story of Scripture. Uh, all throughout, this is the movement that we see in Scripture. Uh, but these are the three things we believe. Number one, there is always, always, always hope beyond our brokenness. Uh, I said last week, and this is really important, there are no such thing as levels to sin in God's eyes. Uh, only in the world and only in the weird American church do we have some people are more sinners and some people are less sinners. And that's not how it works. Okay? I don't care what you're dealing with or what you've been through or what's happened to you in your life. We're here to proclaim the gospel, which is therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. 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 Second, we believe we are called to trust in our risen Savior, and Jesus is alive. Oh my gosh, is he alive and doing incredible things in our midst. It's amazing what he's doing. And you and I are called to put the weight of our lives and our souls in his capable hands, to trust him with each and everything that we have going on in our life. And third, you and I get to bring restoration. So Deanna gets to bring restoration to somebody with change for a dollar, and we sent a bunch of kids up to camp last week, and I love it that in our youth group, the vast majority of kids don't know Jesus, and so your care and sponsorship and love for them gave them an encounter with Jesus last week, and we're about to launch Celebrate Recovering our church later in the summer. That's right. And so this sanctuary is going to be filled with people in recovery because there's nothing on Friday nights for the recovery community except trouble. On the, on the Central Coast, and so this is going to be a place of restoration and hope, and we get to, we get to do that as a church, and, and that's what, Jesus is already with those people and in those situations, we just get to join what he's doing, amen? amen? So each one of those truths, that there is hope beyond our brokenness, and we do get to trust our risen Savior and get to join him in his restoration work, comes with a choice that you and I make. So can we make this choice together? Let's read this. Let's de declare it. Proclaim it loudly, y'all. And if you're at home, say it out loud. Yes, you at home. That, no, get off your phone. Say it. Ready? Here we go. Ready? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus as resurrection work. So can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts today? Yes. Sure. More Lysol. Okay, more, more Lysol, got it. Um, so can I pray for protection for us real quick? Okay, so Jesus, we bind up anything opposed to Christ. And I, I mean, for those online at home right now and here in the sanctuary, we just bind up anything opposed to Jesus that's uh, bothering us or attacking us or preventing or putting us to sleep or preventing us from hearing the hope of the gospel today. And Jesus, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us and the place where we are. Fill this 
tabernacle, this sanctuary, with your presence. Come, Lord Jesus. And we say to our own hearts and souls right now, wake up. It's time to hear. It's time to listen. It's time to be captivated and captured and awakened. Jesus, we make ourselves available to you. Challenge us, change us, heal us. We give you permission. In Christ's name we pray and all God's beloved saints said, amen. amen. So uh, we've been in the book of Acts and this is the fourth week that we've been in the book of Acts. In the Old Testament, God reveals himself slowly to the, pe the people of God over time. Okay, it's hard to eat an elephant all at once, right? And so God reveals himself slowly over time through specific, specific events. Here's the God who is powerful. Here's the God who, uh, that's Abraham experienced that. Here's the God who provides, Jehovah Jireh. This is what Isaac and Jacob experienced. Here's the God who has mercy. Uh, here's uh, all of God's names, El Shaddai, uh, all of the, the names of God are experiences that people had with God revealing who he is. And then the God who saves, it's Yahweh, right? And, and the God who delivers people from bondage and captivity into freedom, into a new identity and a new land and a new hope. This is, this is who God is. And as Jesus is on earth, he is the exact representation of God. He is God in the flesh. If you want to know what our Heavenly Father is like, you, you just look at what Jesus is like. There's no such thing as an angry Heavenly Father out there and a merciful, kind Jesus. That's not how God works. If you want to know who God the Father is, you look to who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. So then the Holy Spirit comes. What's the Holy Spirit's job? Well, we read first week was the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal to you who Jesus is so that you can know this Father of mercy that you have. Picking up what I've been putting down? Jesus shows you what, or the Holy Spirit shows you what Jesus is like. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit does. Then the Holy Spirit creates a brand new heart within you. Literally, God the Holy Spirit indwells within you when you say, Jesus, I would like for you to save me. I can't do this thing of being called God in my own life. I need you. When we repent, when we, when we say, God, forgive me, God, save me, God, help me, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells within us and creates in us a brand new heart with brand new desires and longings and dreams and hopes that are fueled by the Holy Spirit himself. Does that make sense? And so then... The third thing that we read last week is that the Holy Spirit then puts us in a brand new community. And this community, this fellowship, in the Greek it's koinonia, is defined by one thing. It's the Spirit of God who is generous. That Jesus left all of the riches of heaven to pour all of heaven's riches into you so that you who are poor could be made rich in him. And we're not talking just about money. We're talking about hope and joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and that this riches now of God's very presence will last from this moment on through all eternity. Y'all, you're the winners of the cosmic lottery. 
right? I bought lotto tickets last week. I paid $11 in stupid tax. Does that make sense? I don't have to pay for this because Jesus has paid it all for me and for you. That's where we are in the book of Acts. Today, the Holy Spirit is going to be revealed as the Spirit who heals. That's what we're going to talk about today. So here's the question for today. What, is the, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit heals? Now, last week, I mentioned this before, we talked about how Christians do weird things with sin. We think that some sin is worse than other sin. Like, I'm fine with my greed, you know, but they gossip. Oh, I'm fine with my self-centeredness, but he looks at porn. Oh, I'm fine with, um, you know, my stinginess and my greed and my, and, and my self-centeredness, but she, she yells. No, sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. God hates all sin. Why? Because all sin is death. Make sense? There's not levels to sin in God's eyes. There's different consequences to our sin within our judicial system. Well, actually, not after COVID with zero bail, but um, there used to be there used to be consequent different consequences to our sin, right? In our legal system, but in God's eyes, all sin is sin, right? There's not big capital S sin and little sin. No, it's just sin. So we have the same kind of level thinking when it comes to healing as well. It's weird. Um, we, We think that healing is when God removes an affliction or a disease or a hardship in our life so that that never comes back ever, ever again. And all that was lost is fully restored and then some with interest. That's what we think of healing. Oh, and it happens instantly. And it happens when I say, um, I put my quarter in, that's called a prayer, and I say, in Jesus' name. (laughs) And then out comes healing. That's what we want it to look like. Uh, But then what we do is that we overlook or dismiss or ignore the Holy Spirit's faithfulness and miraculous intervention when healing doesn't happen when we think it should, doesn't happen how we think it should, and we miss miracles all around us. I know a woman who went to the hospital six times with cancer over the course of 20 years And six times, the doctor called the family and said, you need to come quick. She's got 24 hours to live. And six times, the family showed up to say goodbye to mom and grandma, and everybody's crying and weeping. And six times, she said the exact same thing. No, Jesus isn't done with me yet. I'm not going to die. Two times, her cancer was miraculously healed, like she had cancer, and then they prayed for her. And then they took a scan, you know, just because they were going to do the surgery and it was going to be terrible. And then all the cancer was gone. And the doctors are like, okay, you're, you can go home. Four times she had to go through chemo and surgery. Was she healed? Yes. The answer is yes. Let's try again. Was she healed? Yes. Six times she was healed. Six times she was healed. Sometimes... 
Sometimes it was a miraculous healing. Sometimes modern medicine helped her heal. And thank God, you know who invented modern medicine? <gasps> Christians. Because the body was good, not evil. And we see value in our body. And so Christians pioneered medicine in the world. Now, when she died after a long, full life, and she didn't die of cancer, a friend said to her daughter, she's all the way healed now. And we have family members that we've lost because of disease or sickness that they've struggled with a long time. And I've heard it over and over and over again. <sighs> Mom's finally completely healed. Dad's fi Grandpa's finally completely healed. Sometimes healing doesn't happen the way that we think it does. Sometimes when we get healed, then we get so disappointed because we think that the healing or the, the sickness is never going to come back, and that's not how this world works. We are, live in a broken world, and we are broken by it. Does that make sense? We don't, we don't want to admit that, but that's the truth. Did you know that none of you make it out alive? I, I, I always know, like, the, when you're youngish, you think, well, I'm the exception, right? But now, I've, now that I've started growing hair out of my ears, I, I, I literally think, I'm going to die one day. And I don't know what happened. There's a shift when you're in your 40s where you just think, huh, I, I can kind of see where the end might be. The Holy Spirit, next slide, the Holy Spirit wants your body and mind and spirit healed. They're all connected. But sometimes we want the Holy Spirit to heal our body while we refuse healing in our heart of hearts. Why is that? Well, it's painful, isn't it? Right? When we get healed in our body, pain goes away. When we get healed in our hearts, we have to become aware of pain. It's painful to actually admit that you have this deep hurt in your life or that you've caused deep hurt in your life. It's hard to feel. It's easier just to cover it up like a cat. In other words, we're happy with one kind of healing, but then we refuse another kind of healing. Do you see how that's kind of weird? It got quiet in here. I think the Holy Spirit's speaking to your hearts right now. Oftentimes, I'll see that the Holy Spirit will bring healing to your body so that your heart of hearts can be healed. And sometimes we miss this profound truth. I know a man whose heart was literally healed the day before surgery. He walked into his cardiologist the next day, like at French Hospital in San Luis Obispo. The cardiologist said, we're going to do one last ultrasound of this tor torn aorta. And they did the last ultrasound, and they're like, what? And they ran him through a battery of tests, and he's, his heart was completely healed. We prayed for him at church on Sunday, right? He doesn't go to the church anymore. He doesn't want his heart of hearts healed. It's tragedy. I prayed for a man, complete stranger, John, at the Captive Hearts Thrift Store on Grand Avenue. He was stealing things, shoving items down his pockets. And somebody came to the store and said, Andy, could you help us? I said, sure. And I said, hey, man, what's going on? And John's like, 
nothing. And I'm like, can I buy that, all that stuff for you? And he's like, oh my gosh, sure. And then all of a sudden he's like, why would you buy it for me? I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And he goes, and I said, can I pray for you? And he says, sure. So he said, I said what's going on in your life? He says, well, my back is killing me. So I prayed for his back and instantly God healed his back, right? That like my, my, my on-base percentage went drastically up with that prayer, right? As though I have something to do with it. No, God just wanted to use me in that moment. And John couldn't believe it. He was overcome. And then I said, well, what else is hurting? He said, my leg is killing me. So we prayed for his leg. And all of a sudden, his leg is instantly healed. And right then and there, he gave his life to Christ. And the next day, I was supposed to meet him to start his process of discipleship and to see where, how he could put his life back together again because he was homeless on the streets. And the next day, I saw him, and he was using his body got healed. God was trying to get his heart of hearts healed. But he wasn't ready yet. Here's a hard truth. We don't get to put demands on the Holy Spirit for healing. Our ways are not God's ways. God the Holy Spirit often does far more healing in the small miracles and in the waiting than you'll ever understand or give him credit for. I know lots of people living with illnesses and limitations that aren't going to go away. They have lupus. They have bipolar disorder. They have cancer. They have multiple sclerosis. They have paralysis. Or my son, who has cerebral palsy. God is doing miracles of healing in their life and in the people that are loving them and caring for them and that they're loving and caring for all during the waiting and yes, even in the suffering, God will bring healing to the twisted places of our thinking and our believing. When Jonah had his stroke, this is my oldest son who's 17, when Jonah had his stroke, I had to come face to face with the truth that my son would never be able to perform well in his life. He was going to be one years old for the rest of his life. And I had this thought rant that fell out of my mouth. How will people love him then if, he's, if he can never do anything? And God was all, uh, what? And in that moment, I got to confess a lie and reject a lie that I would have never come face to face with because honestly, the lie that, that people will love me if I perform well is fueled in this profession called being a pastor. Because if I do well, then you'll love me more. And then if I do really well, then more people will come and more people will love me, right? And then I'll be constantly inflating Pastor Ego Man, Pastor Andy Man, right? And Pastor Andy Man will be out here, right? And he'll be like, love me, love me, love me. And you and I do this all the time. We have this inflatable person that we're pumping up that doesn't have any flaws and is absolutely perfect. And that inflatable person gets all the praise and all the love. The problem is, is that me pumping up that person never feels any of it. And I'm constantly trying to keep this inflatable persona going. But you know what I always take? Any criticism that that inflatable person, see, if, if, you, if you poke a hole in him, then it, he deflates. And so, oh no, I'll take all the criticism. So inflatable Pastor Andy gets all the praise and real Andy gets all the criticism. That's no way to run your life. I only did that for two decades. How about you? 
And there in this, my son's cerebral palsy and his stroke and in his seizures, I, I had to come face to face with the reality that that, that lie was going to kill me. And in that rejection of that lie, I got healed. Let me be crystal clear. God did not give my son a stroke and then seizures and then brain surgery so that I would learn a lesson. In the middle of my son's suffering, God did healing in me because that's how good he is. God doesn't crush you. Next slide. God doesn't, read this with me. God doesn't crush you or others so you will learn a lesson. We live in a broken world and we get broken by it. In our brokenness and in the suffering while we wait for the healing, the Holy Spirit will do far more healing than you can imagine if you let him. This requires your trust, your surrender, and you giving up your entitlement and control. Healing is, is not magic. Magic is, I say particular words in a particular order, and then something happens. That's not prayer. That's magic. We'll read that later in Acts with Simon the sorcerer, who's like, oh, man, you guys can do a lot of cool stuff, these Christians. Can I just know your magic prayers? And they're like, no. Prayer is not magic. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's God the Holy Spirit, like the third person of the Trinity. We don't get to boss the Holy Spirit around. The Holy Spirit heals when the Holy Spirit wants to heal. And the Holy Spirit will always heal your heart and your body and your mind at just the right time. So can we pray one more time? Because all of these dynamics that we just talked about are going to happen, including miraculous, beautiful healing in Acts chapter 3. Will you pray with me? Will you do that? Lord Jesus, thank you for my friends. Thank you for the goodness of your faithful, never-ending healing love in our life. You are merciful. You are kind. You are good, Holy Spirit. And it's hard when we were desperate for healing. We're desperate for the pain to go away. We're desperate for our body to cooperate. We're desperate for the ache in our hearts to be relieved. We're desperate, Lord Jesus, for our family to be healed. And it's hard to wait. So God, meet us. Meet us today in our desperation. Meet us today in the waiting. Bring healing. Show us what you're like. Help us to shrug off any or reject any lie that you're somehow fickle or, or not caring or that you don't love us. No, Jesus, we're going to claim and hold on to the truth of the gospel today. So protect us. We bind up anything opposed to Jesus that's bothering us now. Get off, get out in Jesus' name. And all God's people with a little bit of mojo said, Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read. Here we go. Ready? Read it with me. One day... Now, Peter's got a lot to do, right? He's the leader of a movement that just had 5,000-plus people join like a week ago, okay? There's like things for Peter to do, but what is Peter doing? He's going up to the temple to pray. 
And who is he with? The one kid in the youth group. They got a youth group of one. John might be 15 years old at this time. Peter is taking John to pray to trust Jesus with all the craziness of a brand new way of life. I know you're busy. Are you taking time to pray? I know you're busy. I don't, when you're retired, you're busier than when you were working, right? You got three different outfits. You got your pickleball outfit. You got your morning outfit. Then you got your afternoon outfit. You go four with the PJs, right? So much laundry and changing to do, right? <laughs> Serious, right? If you're working, if you got kids at home, God bless you. If you got little kids at home, oh my gosh, you don't kind of remember your first name half the time, right? Doesn't matter how busy you are. Are you taking time to pray? Are you taking a kid that's in your life to pray? If you tell your kids or your grandkids, hey, pray, you know what they're going to do? Not pray. They need you to pray with them to show them how to do it. One of the greatest joys that you have as a grandparent is that you get to give your kids back to their parents. Yes? I mean, you get them, which is joyful, but then... They don't live with you, which is even more joyful. <laughs> Amen? While they're with you, pray with them. Pray with them. Are you willing to let somebody else help you in your faith? Because John had to say yes. Peter said, let's go to pray. John could have been like a 15-year-old. No. Mm -mm. I'm going to hang out with my new friends. We had a, I was the only kid in a youth group for three years following Jesus. Now there's like 500 kids. Like, I want to have fun. And Peter's like, no, come on and pray. And John said, yes. Are you willing to be mentored, to, to be helped? Are you willing to show up? Okay. So Peter and John go up to the temple to pray. Now, Peter's a cranky old fisherman. He's a seventh grade dropout. Okay, stopped going to school when he was in sixth grade, seventh grade, and followed his dad into the fishing business, right? And he's praying with a kid who's 15 years old. That 15-year-old, like, literally snuggled up to Jesus at the Last Supper while Peter was trying to prove how he would never deny Jesus. That's the dynamic between these two. Ready? Verse 2. Now, a man who was lame from birth, read it with me. Now, a man who was lame from birth. By the way, lame doesn't mean like he was like really like stupid. Um, lame means he can't walk, okay? Now, a man who was lame from birth, keep on reading, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Okay, so his family has to carry them there every day, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, you got to remember, at this time, if you were disabled, um, People thought that either you sinned so you deserved it or your parents sinned so that you deserved it, okay? Um, and just, he's been crippled his entire life, so just picture his legs. They're atrophied, they're, they're tiny, they're shriveled up, his ankles are floppy, his tendons are, his legs are literally shriveled up and pulled up into him. They didn't have physical therapists. He wasn't going to see, 
you know, anybody to get help for this. His legs were completely atrophied. Does that make sense? Ironically or tragically, this man who was seen as deformed and ugly and sinful was placed right outside the gateway called Beautiful. Now, here's this picture. I want you to look at this picture. This is a look at the temple complex. This would be 36 acres. That's how big this thing is. It's enormous, okay? And you can see at the bottom, it says Solomon's portico there. Right there, see at the bottom, there's a little gate there. It's called the Golden Gate. If you were to go down that valley, that's the Kidron Valley. Up the other side of the mountain, that's the Mount of Olives. So Jesus passed through the Golden Gate down at the bottom. And if you pass through the Golden Gate, like you're going to the big tall building, that's where the Holy of Holies are, that first gate is called the Beautiful Gate. Does that make sense? A gate is like an archway or a doorway. So when Peter and John and the rest of the disciples are entering the, the temple complex from the Mount of Olives, that's where the KOA campground was, there where they camped, okay? They literally go from the Mount of Olives into the temple every day, right? Because this was the only place big enough for the early church to meet. They'd pass through the Golden Gate. That's the same gate that Jesus went to on Palm Sunday riding the donkey. Same gate. Uh, and here's the Golden Gate. Next slide. Here's the Golden Gate today. The Muslims in the 16th century, Suleiman the Great, he walled up the Golden Gate for defensive purposes. Okay, so now back to the diagram. So when Peter, next slide, when Peter and John enter the Golden Gate, the next gate that they're going to go to is called the Gate Beautiful or the Beautiful Gate. Does that make sense? This is where the crippled man was placed to beg. So every day on the way to prayer or on the way to meet with all these new Jesus followers, Peter and John would have passed by this crippled man. Why was he placed there? Great question. Men and women would pass through the beautiful gate to give their offerings. Next slide. To give their offerings. So here's the beautiful gate. Um, it, it's, it's, the, it's the gate all the way on the right-hand side there. That's called the beautiful gate. And you can see here is the court of women. That's on the right-hand side. This is where all of the offerings would take place. So everybody, as they were walking through the beautiful gate, they were getting their money out. And this is where the guy was. Alms for the poor? Do you ever pass by someone who's asked you for money every day? When I lived in Ireland, every single day we had to go buy groceries every single because you, your refrigerator was this big in the little apartment that they, we had for you, and also all the vegetables were imported from Greece and flash, flash frozen, which means they would rot in one day. So you literally bought food each and every day for that day. And every day I would pass by a guy and he'd say, can you, spare, can you spare 50p? Do you have a quid? Every single day. The first time I gave him 50p, that's 50 cents, right? And then the next time I gave him 50 cents, and then I just stopped giving him money. Every single day I passed by this guy. Every single day. The, thi the thing is, is that this crippled man, he could never go into the courts. Why? Because he was deformed. He was crippled which meant that he could never get forgiven by the priests. He could never give an offering. His only chance at being healed was for someone to take him to one of the pools that were by, nearby in the temple complex. And maybe if the waters were stirred because an angel touched them, he could get healing. 
But that, how often did that happen? Once every couple of years? Not very often. So he was there every day just to make enough money to eat and to live. Verse 3. Read this with me. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. That's normal. He did that every day. Verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said... Peter said what? How, how, why does Luke put this detail in? Where was the guy looking? Down. Let me ask you a question. If you're talking to someone and they're looking down and they won't hold eye contact with you, how are they feeling about themselves? Ashamed, right? If you're having a conversation with someone and, and then all of a sudden... You look away and down, you feel shamed. He believes that there is something fundamentally wrong with him that he cannot change, far beyond being crippled. It's that toxic feeling, that sense that he's crippled because something deeper inside him is broken that he can never fix. And that's why God hasn't healed him. Shame is that crippling feeling that somehow we're less than See, there's levels to God's love, evidently, in this guy's heart. And let's be honest, we believe the same lie. You might think, well, God loves them more because they haven't messed up as much as I have, but I've messed up. And so I guess God loves me a little bit less. I've derailed my life, and, and now I'm just, I have to settle does anybody can relate with me on that one? That's been something that I've believed for a long time. One person? Okay. So what do Peter and John do? They look at him. What does this communicate? Yeah, care, value, uh, uh, worth, attention. But the man keeps on looking down. He won't look back. So Peter says to him, Look at us. Let me ask you, what tone did Peter use? Hey, look at us. Was it that? You sure? You know, God says to you, that to you all the time. Child, look at me. Fix your eyes on me. Pay attention to me. What tone do you think he uses? He's not mad at you. He's not frustrated with you. He loves you. I think Peter was quite gentle. Why? Because I think Peter could see himself in this man. Peter had been crippled with shame too. He had been there on the Last Supper saying, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then that very night, right before his stupid chicken caws three times, Peter's saying, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Right? And how did Peter feel after his denial? absolutely ashamed, like there was something broken in him that he could never fix. He felt like this crippled man, stuck, broken in need. And Jesus wasn't harsh with him. Jesus was gentle with him. Jesus forgave him while eating fish tacos on the shores of Galilee. Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And restored Peter fully into his position of leadership within the church. The knucklehead who denied Jesus is now leading the charge. The knucklehead who denied Jesus is now leading the charge. 
Same with your family. You could say that. The knucklehead who denied Jesus is now leading the charge. That's you and me. And Jesus is never harsh with us. He's never mean to us. He's always gentle with us. And when he says, look at me. When the Holy Spirit heals you, you will not avoid or dismiss or overlook the pain in another person's life. You will see yourself in their story and you will have compassion for their deep need. This is why the church is generous. Because we've been poor and we've been lost and we've been broken and now we're not as much. And so we're going to do something about it. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, read verse 5 with me. Ready? Here we go. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Oh, you have more than like five cents? Sweet. Verse 6. Then Peter said, come on, read it with me. Give a, give a good one. Ready? Here we go. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. <laughs> Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know what this means? Peter and John are dead broke. That's what this means. They got no money, right? They haven't worked for months. They were working in Galilee, and Jesus is like on the shore. No, actually, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. They're like, we don't got no money. Jesus is like, don't worry about that. And he's like, they're like, oh, oh, okay. They go back to Jerusalem. They don't have no money. Everybody's sharing everything, right? They're just, they're, they got the next meal in front of them, and that's it. So the guy's asking for money, and Peter and John are like, I, I got nothing. But what do they have? Jesus. Yeah, they got Jesus. And not just Jesus in general or the thought of Jesus, but Jesus Christ. Christ means Savior. Jesus the Savior. Jesus who saves. Next slide. Peter sees deep down that this man is not defined by his being crippled or ashamed. Peter knows that pain. Now Peter has the Holy Spirit, a new heart and new eyes because Peter isn't saving Peter anymore. Jesus is finally Peter's savior. So Peter gives away what he has, and that's Jesus. Listen, y'all, the Holy Spirit wants to heal you. And the first place that the Holy Spirit is going to start is your little self-salvation project. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I'm wearing shorts and sandals just for you. And I'm also here to tell you the hard news and the good news that the Holy Spirit wants to heal you of the burden and weight of your little self-salvation projects. Give up being right. Give up your performance. Give up protecting yourself with anger. Give up controlling everything. Give up being in charge. Each of these little self-salvation projects, I understand them completely because I do them all. They're coping mechanisms that we've gotten in life. They're all connected to pain. And the Holy Spirit wants to heal that pain, but also the coping mechanism that no longer works. You picking up what I'm putting down? Trust Jesus to save you, not the coping mechanism. We are all Peter. We try so hard to get it right by ourselves 
But your failures don't have to be moments of shame. Your failures can be the moment that you finally let Jesus save you. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do to heal you. That's what the Holy Spirit longs to do inside of you. So will you let him? Really? I asked to speak to your soul. Will you let him? Can I, can I just lead us through a quick prayer? And then I'm going to finish my sermon. I've got six more minutes. You, you with me? You okay? Can we just say a quick little prayer? Would that be okay online, people? Pray with me. Lord Jesus. No, no, say it out loud. Pray with me. Lord Jesus. My self-salvation projects aren't working at all. Not even a little bit. Only you can save. Jesus, I pray for each one of my friends here that you would begin to show them what those self-salvation projects look like and to help them unravel them slowly and gently in their lives. Deliver my friends. Heal my friends in their heart of hearts and in their bodies. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Ooh, good job. Thanks for trusting me with that prayer because I could have like gone anywhere with that. Like, <laughs> Lord Jesus, I give all my money to Coastal Community Church. Like, but you didn't do that, so great. So back to Peter and John. Read this again with me, verse six. Then Peter said, put some pizzazz on it, ready? Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Huh. And what happens to the guy? Not, no, nothing. So what does he do? Verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Has anybody ever helped anybody that cannot walk or has disabilities up? Okay. They're very heavy. And what you do is you don't pull their, their, their arm out of their socket. Does that make sense? Right? You don't like pick up babies by their wrists, nor do you do that by adults, right? First, you grab a hand so that you can then embrace them. Peter and John can't give him any money, but they can give the man something that will cost them. Remember, the crippled man is unclean. He can't go into the temple, can't pass through the gate beautiful. So Peter and John are willing to sacrifice their cleanliness and not go into temple for this man. That's number one, what it cost them. Number two, this guy's been sitting on the ground all day long. He's had to go to the bathroom. How many times has he taken a shower? What does he smell like? He's filthy and he's stinky and he's not clean ritualistically or literally. And what do Peter and John do? They take him by the hand, and then they lift him up and hug him and lift him up to his feet. 
And that's what Jesus does for you. You and me and all of our mess. Jesus doesn't run from us. He doesn't say, please clean yourself up before I touch you. He comes to you and he embraces you. In the stink of your hurt and your foolishness, Jesus sacrifices everything to love you and heal you and embrace you. He is willing, like Peter and John, to risk separation from the Holy of Holies, the presence of his heavenly Father, for you. And Peter and John, they don't know if their prayers are going to work. They're just holding on to this stinky, paralyzed, filthy man because all they can give him right now is their prayers and their love and their, the cost of being close to them. Do you want to see somebody healed? Yes. Do you? Yes. Are you willing to sacrifice for them? Yes. How much time and money and energy are you willing to pour into them? Because you will see healing and transformation in their life when you do. Last week on the 4th of July. So Sunday, we're at the barbecue, the 3rd of July. There was like 65 people there. Oh my gosh, the tri-tip. Whoever's involved with that, I love you, I love you, I love you. Our men's group, they were incredible. And Levi tested negative for COVID that morning. And by, by the time that we had gotten in the car, he's like, Dad, I, feel, I don't feel good. I'm like, well, let's just get you home. And so by the time, eight minutes later, when we're home, he goes, my eyeballs hurt. I feel terrible. And I'm like, you look terrible. Eight minutes, right? A day and a half later, he tested positive for COVID. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, right? This, that was crazy. So that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, I, April and I were talking. And she's like, you cannot get COVID. You have to preach. Paul's gone. Like, you got to get out of here. And I'm like, all right. So I called up my friends and drove to Fresno. That's why I'm wearing shorts, right? I left Fresno this morning at 5 o'clock in the morning to drive here, right? And it was 75 degrees this morning. So thank you, thank you, Fresno friends. So I'm there on the 4th of July last week. And there we're all swimming in the pool. And the, the mom, I, my friend has just loved this, this family so well for nine years and not pressed Christianity, not done anything. But he's like, hey, you want to come to Awanas? Hey, you want to come to church with us? Hey, and so slowly but surely, the, over nine years, this family, who my friend has poured hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars into and love them and bless them and help them, takes care of their kids, spend half her cha- paycheck on the kids, right? Just like has just loved this family really well. The, the mom says to me, Andy, I cannot believe that you're here because I watched online on Sunday and I thought, Andy's supposed to be here on the 4th of July and I'm supposed to get baptized. Mm. I'm like, okay. So we go into the pool and she gets baptized. And then her, her daughter, nine years old, who's rarely excited about God, her face lights up and she goes, I want to get baptized. I'm like, you want to accept Jesus? She's like, yeah, and I want to get baptized. And then her twin sister's like, can I get baptized too? And then dad, big, long, burly, bearded electrician dad goes, all right, daddy's getting baptized too. (laughs) And the whole family gave their life to Christ on July 4th. Right? 
their hearts, their bodies, their souls are being healed. The Holy Spirit is healing them. It only took nine years of sacrifice and love for my friend. That's not that much for an eternity. Amen? And so Peter and John are holding this man in all of his filth and all of his need, and they're embracing him, and they've just prayed for him. And sacrifice leads to healing every time. Sacrifice leads to healing every single time. Verse 7, read it with me. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. What? Yes, legs straightening out, joints popping, muscles forming, ankles reforming, feet becoming normalized and not shriveled, and he stands. He jumped to his feet and began to... He never walked a day in his life. He begins to walk. He begins to walk. Then what did he do? Then he went with them, Peter and John, into... For the first time. I'm going to get healed. I just got healed. Now I'm going to get forgiven. Now I'm going to give praise. Now I'm going to join the worship. He's walking. He's walking. And... Now, in the Greek, this is cool. In the Greek, Peter and John are jumping with him. That's what happened at the pool on July 4th at my friend's house. All of us are in the pool like this. They're getting baptized! This whole family gave their life to Jesus. They're getting healed. They're getting baptized. They're getting saved. Oh, my gosh. And Peter and John, John the 15-year-old. Anybody ever seen a 15-year-old dance in public at church? Mm-mm. No, they're quiet. They're like, I'm cool. What's that? I, no, I don't know. Mm-mm. No. They barely show up. They're usually like on their, you know, whatever, right? They're jumping. They're laughing. They're screaming, right? And they're praising God. They're praising God. Why? Because the pr- crippled man can walk again, but his healing is far deeper. He's no longer shamed as a cripple. His healing proves that God wasn't angry at some past sin. No, God's heart was to heal this beloved son of God because God loves him and cares for him. And the same goes for you. And this man is praising God. He's not praising Peter. He's praising God, not John, God. Why? Because God does the healing and God does the restoring, not your and I's magic prayers. Somebody say amen. What about Peter and John? Why are they praising God? Because Peter's like, God, you're using me even after I denied you? That's why he's praising God. And what about John? 15-year-olds feel invincible. He's there on the garden of, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus is betrayed. All of the soldiers come up. John freaks out. One of the soldiers grabs him by the cloak. And what does John do? Runs, buck naked. (laughs) Naked. It's every waking nightmare of every 15-year-old boy (laughs) is running naked in public. And that's what happened to John. And he's like, even in all that shame, even in all my foolishness, even in all my, my youth, and I don't know what we're doing, you're using me, Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. The enemy wants you to believe that there's something terribly wrong with you, to shame you, to make you feel like God has abandoned you and is angry with you, and that is not the case. And brothers and sisters, those of you who are waiting in your pain, 
Those of you who are waiting in the pain of your body and of your heart, of your mind, of your family, God is not angry with you. God is not mad at you. God is not disappointed with you. God is not waiting for you to get your act together before he moves. God is on the move right now in the middle of it. Amen? You're not unlovely. You're worthy of love. God is head over heels in love with you. Okay, back to the story. Peter and John, the filthy cripple guy, are now all dancing and singing and praising God in the middle of church. It's crazy. Verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple. I know that guy. He's Jerry. I never give him money. Right? And they're filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to them. And they all gather around Peter and John and this man. And while the man, I love this, while the man held on to Peter and John, they hadn't taken a bath yet, while he held on to him, all the people were astonished and came running to them. Peter saw this. He said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare as if, at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Healing doesn't happen because I'm all that. Healing happens because Jesus is. And Peter tells the Jews the gospel once again. By faith, verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man, read it with me. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Verse 19, what do I do? Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Ooh, what Peter doing? He's doing what we're talking about. He's connecting your physical healing with the deep healing of your heart of hearts. So that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Even the guy even the guy that we denied, even the guy that paid for our sin, even that guy, Jesus, he loves you enough to heal you now. Can we pray? I want to invite the worship team to come back up. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need your healing. We need healing deep inside our heart of hearts. We need healing in our thinking. We need healing in in our bodies. And Jesus, we trust you to do this healing. Please, Lord, I pray healing and life and restoration upon my brothers and sisters right now, upon their bodies, upon their spirits, upon their relationships, upon their families. And Jesus, we're going to dance and sing and praise because you have already done what we could never deal do, which is to save us and to forgive us. And so that all eternity we will experience life forever healed in your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We'll thank you in the waiting. We'll thank you in the suffering. Well, thank you in the times of refreshing and healing that we get. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, would you stand? Listen, some of you might want to get healed or want, we'd love to pray for you if you'd like, you need healing. 
So come forward and get prayer. I, I don't know if you're gonna get healed or not, but I know that God is gonna work healing in your life no matter what. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance that's his delight in you and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, love you guys. God bless you. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.